Cheers, Welcome guys. back Cheers. to the wonderful Mr. Uh, Christopher Easy. You were gone for a while on that homicide case. I was, but I'm back. It's done. It's nice over. Nice to have you back. Oh, thanks. Congratulations. Thanks well, thank you. Quitted well of second-degree murder and manslaughter. And was a wrongly accused individual. Let's be clear. She was, absolutely. So well done. And so, luckily, justice was done in this case. Right on. And now you're back to talk about... The most amazing trial of the century, okay. Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard. But we have very specific reasons for talking about it this time. And also, there's been some criticism about, like, you know, random, randos, I think it is. We'll, I'll get to that later. Um, you know, having too many opinions on this case. But I think it's a really great opportunity for lawyers to take something that people care about, are interested in, and educate them on the law. So it's actually a really great opportunity for people to learn things they otherwise would not know about the legal system. I agree. I think it's a great illustration um, of a trial with allegations that are relevant to our practice, how they're assessed. And now we're going to dive a bit deeper and look at the UK decision. Because mm -hmm. that's a big topic yeah. of interest is, you know, how can we have these two different decisions where he's, he's found essentially guilty on, on one side of the pond and uh, completely vindicated on the other? Yeah. Well, uh, the term guilty is not quite accurate. He was not successful in the UK because he wasn't on trial. Right. Civil so suit. It's a civil suit. So he wasn't successful in this civil suit. But, you know, it was uh, a different issue. And being not successful in the civil suit is a little different than being, you know, found guilty. Except for in the court of public opinion, because as somebody said, you can actually call him a wife beater in the UK. But anywhere else. Yeah. No, and, and you know, I, I know I'm staring at my phone and I apologize, but I'm just reviewing the decision. You know, I've had a chance to look at it before, but um, it, it's a long decision. And um, the judge, you know, came to the conclusion on 12 out of the 14 allegations of um, assault that they had been proven to the civil standard. And although it was a lawsuit versus uh, the Sun for their uh, reporting of this, and so it was a slightly different lawsuit than what occurred in the United States. The United States was a lawsuit against Amber Heard for de defamation. This was against the media outlet in the UK. There was quite a bit of evidence, and Amber Heard testified for several days Mr. Depp was in the stand for about five days. And as I can see, because the, the other document I was looking at didn't give a comprehensive review, but there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. There was over 12 witnesses called by uh, Mr. Depp. And this also is in the UK? In the UK. And they also used depositions um, by the uh, Los Angeles Police Department to two officers and a declaration of his bodyguard um, who had passed away in 2019. So there was a considerable amount of uh, witness evidence called at the trial, as well as because it's a civil case, using some depositions. So we can't say it was um, not a detailed hearing. It was. Right. There were a couple of decisions that some people are questioning later on. And there's one key piece of information in her testimony that changed by the time because 
my understanding is that they were filed around the same time, but that the UK trial ended up happening first. And so by the time it got to the US yeah. one, there was more information available. Yeah, there's no doubt um, from at least going over the record of the US trial versus the UK trial that there was more extensive evidence available to the jury in the United States. And frankly, um, one or two more key witnesses, Kate Moss, for example. Well, and this is important because credibility is always central to cases like this. And when you can directly contradict testimony under oath, it affects a lot of the, the quality of the rest of the testimony. And there were two things that she was directly contradicted on in the US trial that they didn't have access to in the UK trial. Which were? One, <clears throat> that she had pledged, as she says, yeah. but not donated all of the money she received from the divorce settlement. And that was, there was a really funny exchange. She said, uh, his lawyer was saying, you did not donate that money, did you? It was $7 million. And she said, I pledged it. To me, those are synonymous. <laughs> and in the yeah. UK, it was very, you know, it did weigh on the judge's mind that she wasn't a gold digger because she was this altruistic person who had actually donated all of the money. That's an excellent point. So specifically, this loomed large um, and Heard had, I guess it was a $7 million settlement of the divorce proceeding. And the US case, we had the bombshell, frankly, um, that in fact it had not been donated as she had said, but in the UK case, um, one of the aspects of the ruling of the judge was that Heard was credible, partly because she didn't profit from divorcing Johnny Depp, citing her announcement that she would give all the money to charity, which did not occur. Mm -hmm. So that came on later on, and then of course you had the direct contradiction from Kate Moss's evidence that became relevant because of the testimony from Amber Heard. Which was not in the UK trial, that was the other thing. So in the US trial, when Amber Heard was testifying, she said that the, somebody was afraid of being pushed down the stairs, either her or her sister, because they knew he'd done that to Kate Moss. And you could see in the courtroom, his lawyer turn and go fist bump, because yeah. then that allowed them to call Kate Moss to directly contradict her on something that was right. completely false. So it's interesting. So just, I, I don't want to dominate here, for, but for one second. So w when we had reviewed, sort of in brief in, in one of our past episodes, the the verdict and talked about, and we'll have to talk about jury versus judge alone trial. Um, you know, there was, there was some um, reporting in the media from some pundits who don't normally comment on these things who said, that the uh, specific ruling in the UK uh, found him to be an abuser and therefore... A wife beater, even. A wife beater. And, and, and what happened in the US was really a product of his celebrity status, maybe US-style uh, litigation, and really doesn't and social reflect... social media influence. And, and doesn't really reflect uh, the true state of affairs. And um, I was on Twitter about that a little bit and a bit a bit concerned about that because I think a jury verdict has to be respected for the reasons we spoke about. But I think it's something you should talk about. 
mm-hmm. um, and that you know what is the difference? I think it's important for for our viewers who don't really necessarily appreciate a jury trial, mm-hmm. even though it's a civil case versus a judge alone trial. And in Canada, we have fewer jury trials now than ever, thanks to our federal government. Um, and how does that impact? And what? And 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 I'll say one other thing, and I'll shut up for a few moments. But you know, there's a, a lawyer in uh, the UK who was he call himself the Black Belt? Black Belt barrister. Black Belt barrister, yeah, which is I really like cute, um, is bringing a petition to the court to reopen the appeal. Uh, particularly because something I find inviting, you have inconsistent verdicts and it's an affront to fundamental justice in that respect. Um, but I think it's interesting for us to talk about, and we said we wanted to address the UK decision because I, I, I think I, I much prefer a jury over a long period of time who are uh, members of the community who are able to assess a live witness in front of them and then make determinations of credibility. Mm-hmm. And use common sense. <laughs> yeah, the, the, just God forbid that? they could use common sense. Say that. <laughs> well, the term "inconsistent verdicts" is not quite accurate because remember that you know we always have to ground it in the fact that there's different evidence that was called. The concept of of inconsistent verdicts is really if you have the same evidence, identical evidence, in two courts going on. So, for example, imagine you've got two people who are alleged to have committed an offense, you know, they're parties, they're co-accused. And for whatever reason, they have to get tried separately. And the Crown calls identical evidence, you know, there's not a shred differently. And in one case, uh, the guy gets acquitted, the other one, the guy gets convicted. Those are inconsistent verdicts. In the case of the, you know, Johnny Depp in the UK, there was important missing evidence that was not heard. And that's, um, you know, fine distinction to say inconsistent verdicts with that that was, you know, occurred in the United States. I will say, however, to be uh, a bit of a, a fly in the soup on this, in reading the judgment from the UK, and it's a, it's a well-written judgment, I, I, I don't take... Uh, Something like 216 pages. Extremely, you know, very thorough, very well written. There's a link to it online, I suppose. The the judge, for example, found on one of the incidents that Heard's account of the events to be more likely, although seen in isolation, uh, the evidence of Mr. Depp assaulting Ms. Heard on this occasion might not be sufficient. However, taking the evidence as a whole, I find it did occur. And I'm going to say this. Both Johnny Depp and Amber Heard testified in the United Kingdom. So when we talk about inconsistent verdicts, yes, there was some evidence that was not available to the UK judge. That said, at its core, there was examination and cross-examination of the key witnesses, Mr. Depp and and Ms. Heard. And there was extensive cross-examination of Ms. Heard where, where we had cameras where we could all, in real time, assess her credibility. And I'm going to say it is an inconsistent verdict because when you have an opportunity to view the witness in entirety with their evidence and everything and then assess it as a whole, I think there were serious credibility issues. Well, I'll I'll disagree again with you for the following reason. If 
in the UK. How exciting. Is my hair f***ed up? If in the UK. I'm losing it. You know that. What's wrong with my hair? You're also not following the Just plot. go back to I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> All right. For the following. How's my hair now, though? Uh, gorgeous. No, it's uh, not. I'm going bald, but okay, go ahead. Well, that's neither here nor there. I disagree. So I disagree for the following reason. Okay. <clears throat> if in the UK, you know, the key issue, I guess, was whether she had actually donated the money or not. If you're assessing credibility of a witness on, you know, event A and B, and you hear that on event C, and you totally disbelieve them on event C, that will influence your assessment of credibility on A and B. So the UK judge didn't have the evidence regarding C in the analysis of whether events A and B. Sounds like a logic problem, but right. well, so, I think so you explained it pretty well. To get us away from math, maybe, let me just look at Algebra. this for a moment. It's logic. It's okay. not math. <laughs> you know, so... Let's just look at the reaction to the UK verdict, which I thought was interesting. So the law firm that represent Mr. Depp made a, made a statement, a public statement, which I think is um, quite apt. Most troubling is the judge's reliance on the testimony of Amber Heard and corresponding disregard of the mountain of counter evidence from police officers, medical practitioners, her own former assistant, other unchallenged witnesses, an array of documentary evidence which completely undermine the allegations point by point. All of this was overlooked. The judgment is so flawed that it would be ridiculous for Mr. Depp not to appeal the decision. Well, that would be wow. the grounds That's... of unreasonable verdict. Wouldn't it? Yeah. But, but look, this, these are the lawyer's opinion. Yeah. But we don't often comment publicly about our own decisions. No, we don't. So one of the things I wanted to bring up... Um, that I think is really interesting uh, in terms of the Me Too movement and, you know, Canadian law for sure. It's a little bit better in the UK on the, on this factor. But perjury, because this is an issue with Amber Heard. I think in the US trial, there was a lot more ability in terms of what evidence was permitted into court to show that she was committing perjury. In the US that's, court? That's actually a word that's been used on social media. And in terms of, you know, the possibility of a UK appeal is like she committed perjury in the, in the UK when she said that she donated all the money. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah. I mean, look, we don't have the full deed. I mean, I heard what what came out afterward about how what her uh, difficulties were with funding certain things. And, you know, um, I think she's she has an opportunity to explain that. I'm not so big on perjury necessarily but I, I think it's a significant factor that could be relevant to an appeal um, it's certainly inconsistent evidence well there's bigger issues at stake here in terms of you know false accusations and stuff like that because there's this whole thing is like That's it the would bigger be, issue here. it would yeah. be a chilling effect they say to prosecute somebody who's provably committed perjury and provably made a false accusation they still won't prosecute them because it would have a chilling effect but I want to talk cases, about this for a second. How many, how many cases? I said I'd keep my swearing under control on this episode, okay? <laughs> how many cases do we establish oh. fabrication? 
Just I, by percent. I'm afraid to even say the percentage. No, but reality. We'd be called, you know, liars. hysterical or liars. We just had or a major How many withdrawal false accusations after a five day prelim of a notable individual where we were able to cross examine. I was able to cross examine the complainants at length, pretty much established collusion. And we established you did some good work with respect to the messages showing that they were doctored, that they were edited. And so there was a pretty good uh, set of facts to establish that a witness was not telling the truth, fabricated, and in fact had played with documentary evidence and nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And, and, and in a good 30 to 40% of our cases, but I'd say we have very solid evidence after trial. I'm sorry, I'll, I'll be quiet in a moment. That the person no, I'm has just rolling my eyes because I'm so angry about the issue. <laughs> no, but you know, they were false. It was false evidence. It was, it was bullshit mm -hmm. and nothing happens. Right, so what's the point of taking an oath? There's no point. I think it's a joke. Whenever we go, how will you bind your conscience? Nobody gives a really these days. I mean, I'm sorry, I, I should be, some do, but most don't. Well, this think, is why I, we I were worried about Zoom trials is because when you go into an actual courtroom, the gravity of the situation is much more apparent. Yeah. Well, I think if there were a few more prosecutions, uh, notable prosecutions for perjury, it may bring back the uh, uh, solemnity of the testifying. I don't know. And keeping in mind, you know, if somebody's charged with perjury, that's a crime and the burden of proof then shifts to their side yeah. and you have to prove that they knowingly lied. Yeah. And that's an issue, too, is sometimes people come to believe something that isn't true. Well, that's the thing about uh, Ms. Hurd and saying, you know, donated and pledged are the same, you know, that they, are, the, are they not the same? And it may, in fact, be that she is that, um, you know, loose or cavalier with, with her words. I think one of the other, you know, significant issues was, was photographs of injuries. Mm. And... Um, you know whether you're you're um, risky with respect to uh, the truth of allegations. You know in the U.S. case, they were able to take a shot at the uh, photographs of some injuries and how they came out, and I think established to the jury that they might have been altered in a way to try and make it look like an injury when in fact it wasn't. One particular example was some video footage of of the uh, defendant, Miss Heard. Uh, a day after allegedly her nose being broken or fractured, and of course it didn't look that way. That wasn't available. Appearing to the UK. on the James Corden show, she actually, which did. I really do like. It's a great show, but I love this karaoke in the car thing. Marcy, doesn't karaoke doesn't uh, my brother-in-law, <laughs> your your brother, really love the James Corden show? Well, you know what he loves more than that. I have to say this because the Celtics are playing uh, uh, tomorrow night. The well, Warriors. When this goes online. It'll be okay, over so by then. <laughs> by the time you guys watch this, we, we will know who wins. This. But my brother-in-law, Dr. Uh, Robert Cohen, loves the Celtics. He's lived and breathed it from such a young age, right? Oh, yeah. Um, Is that an official disability um, to... <laughs> he just loves... Robbie just loves the uh, uh, the, uh, the Celtics. <laughs> He's got green socks and green jacket and green everything. And they're playing the Warriors and, you know... We wish him good luck that that'll happen. But I thought he liked James Corden's show. Yeah, he liked that too. Yeah. Uh, well, just so you don't have to do it again. Oh, not that much. That's fine. <laughs> um, so 
back to the Johnny Depp thing, and, and I actually do want to get to, um, you know, again, we are pre-recording, but um, Amber Heard gave an interview to the Today Show, and I, and I do want to touch on some of the points she made, because I think it's relevant to a, a secondary issue of things that have been all over the media. Is the, the verdict in the U.S. a setback to the Me Too movement? And uh, she has a bunch of comments and a PR strategy on that. But she apparently is going to appeal the U.S. cases, what's being said. I don't know how she's going to afford to do that. But there was something interesting, and, and you do a lot of appeals, and you've had a chance to read the decision in the U.K. on why he was denied an appeal. And they explained the differences in there between a trial and an appeal that people don't get. They don't understand can you kind of explain that? Right. Well, uh, you know, as they kind of bluntly say in the appellate decision, uh, you know, the trial, the first instance trial is not a, you know, uh, it's not a rehearsal. Okay. I you, like that wording. Actually, you, the that. Yeah. You know, you really have to try to win at the first instance. Um, there's reasons for which appeals are difficult. Uh, one is the courts do not want to have people think that they can just get a second kick of the can if they, you know, for no real valid reasons. So there's a, there has to be some a serious interest in finality. That's exactly it. So there are, you know, uh, several different grounds of appeal. Um, generally, it's the most effective is one in which there's an error of law. Um Sometimes there's an issue about the unreasonableness of the uh, the verdict itself based on the evidence. And that's a, a logical issue. But, you know, it's <laughs> the court was quite clear. Uh, it's not a dry run. This is so important because in, in my nonprofit, I, I now focus mostly on trying to help with wrongful convictions. And they really don't understand. Like, like, do I testify at my appeal? Like, they actually look at it as if it's a retrial. Yeah. It's not. And the importance of understanding that is like, you got one shot, one opportunity, as Eminem would say. <laughs> that's, that's, you got one shot, one opportunity. Yeah. yeah. No, so many people ask, you know, okay, well, if we lose, can we appeal? And the answer is unlikely. Eminem. I want the whole karaoke version of that from you now. I'll try. I'm going to call up the lyrics in a moment, but I have something I want to ask. That's terrifying. Um, no, it's, it's un, like, don't think. I'll do it with Peaky Blinders. Do not accent. think about an appeal when you're running your trial, when you're preparing for your trial. Yeah. Like that you is, think of this as, this is it. This is it. This is so, the Super Bowl. Exactly. This is my Super Bowl. And this and is relevant to Johnny here. Depp's appeal, too. So um, judges are presumed to know the law. Yes, that's, uh, you know, a, an, an adage uh, the appellate courts have. And again, also when it comes to juries, juries are expected to follow instructions. So provided that the instructions to the jury were proper and appropriate, um, you know, we don't second guess juries. Because the, the main difference between a jury and a judge alone trial is in a judge alone trial, the judge... Well, when it comes for appellate issues, the judge will issue written reasons or oral reasons. They'll explain the logic behind their decision. Mm -hmm. Juries are binary. Yes, no. Guilty, not guilty. Right? Defendant, uh, plaintiff. And you don't know why. 
you do not have a rationale. You can't say, well, they applied the evidence, uh, you know, in an improper Which way. Which makes it harder to appeal. Correct. That's exactly it. There's, there's, you know, that's in terms of appeals, you can focus a lot when it comes to a jury on the instructions that the jury, that the judge gave to the jury and the adequate, you know, whether the instructions were adequate, whether they, you know, whether there were corrective instructions given. Exactly. So, you know, let's. That one we should explain, actually. Right. So, what happens is sometimes, you know, uh, as in the Depp case, because this is actually something that happens, and 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 I was recently asked this by somebody kind of randomly, is like uh, about the Depp case. Well, what happens when somebody says something, and then there's an objection, but it's already been said? How do you erase that? Right. So that's the the corrective. Okay. So yeah. that's exactly it. So generally, counsel know what the rules are, right? What they should be eliciting from their witnesses and you know when preparing witnesses they try to explain to them you can talk about x you can't talk about y you know you can't say these kind of things that are not relevant and we care more about that in a jury trial because of the impact that it may have with a witness just you know sputtering it out before the opportunity to stop them and what happens is when that happens is the judge then will say, look, um, you know, try to forget about that, okay? That evidence that you just heard is not relevant, cannot be part of your deliberations, uh, and should not influence your decision. I like the phrase, actually, disabuse yourself of that information. You know, I, I think to some extent they can, but, you know, there's value to a jury being able to assess everything. And I have a question, okay? So one of the reactions to the verdict from uh, these organizations in, in, in um, advocacy for uh, abused persons said um, the allegations of domestic abuse against Johnny Depp are extremely serious. Everyone has experienced domestic abuse. Sorry, everyone who has experienced domestic abuse deserves to be listened to and believed. Right. So this gets into Amber Heard's interview. This also applies to survivors who don't fit the image of the perfect victim. And regardless of the high profile alleged abuser, there's no excuse for domestic abuse. Period. Okay, so let's talk about two things here. One, everybody who's experienced domestic abuse deserves to be listened to and believed. Okay, so this is an important point believe they deserve to be believed okay so i want to talk about that in relation to what happened here in the depth case to again emphasize what we can maybe provide as education and commentary that is important and then let's put this into judge versus jury yeah well what concerns Please. me is that this is one of the reasons that you know because there's different types of journalism some come in trying to actually be neutral and making good effort and other come in writing opinion advocacy pieces about how this is all misogyny <clears throat> and anybody who didn't believe Amber Heard is engaging in misogyny and uh, <clears throat> the reality is that she had her day in court and she lost and there's lots of good reasons for that. In a court composed of a jury. Yeah. So she, she this has... This is a really important question. 
she's given an interview where she's you know she's she's got a few talking points yeah. that are coming at it not she says like I can only talk about myself but yet she's talking about what women experience. So well, that's she's the platform she's anchoring her herself on, approach. right? <clears throat> but the BBC had an advocacy article saying that um, that uh, the reason that the jury believed him instead of her was because they engaged in a thing called DARVO, which is deny, attack, and reverse victim offender. And this is a strategy that defense lawyers often use as a tactic in sexual assault and domestic violence trials by putting the character of the complainant on trial. So this is this is what this particular writer in the BBC had said. Can you repeat that slowly for everybody yeah. to hear that? And then let's just deal with that for a moment, okay? Yeah. Because the first time I, I came across the phrase DARVO, which is called, you know, it's deny, attack, reverse victim and offender, was in my research on domestic violence against men. Okay. And how often men who are the victims of domestic violence end up themselves being charged. And, you know, and it's basically deny, attack, and reverse victim and offender. But that is what they've alleged was the tactic in the trial in the U.S. by Mr. Depp. Okay. Yeah, they say defense, it's a common, this is a direct Underscore quote. this so everybody gets this. I want everybody to understand this. If you give a shit about this podcast, please listen to this. Because it's important. Yeah. This is, they say, this article says, is a common defense tactic, you know, for defense lawyers in sexual assault and domestic violence trials to reverse the victim and offender and to attack the character of the complainant yeah. and victim because they're a complainant, they must be a victim. You've now been with me for the better part of two years, maybe three, working but, with us. Yeah, working directly five years, I think. Right. That we've been How many times directly. in the vast number of cases that we've litigated and won have we done that never we always specifically show how we're not doing that that's dramatic why, pause that's why we win our no no get this because this type of this is so misleading we don't do that we don't no. you know we're a sophisticated law firm but we don't design it that way because that's not always the truth. You don't create a tactic that you think may win over people. You try and focus on the truth. The facts of the case. And the facts of the case. And that, you know, an interesting thing, like people go every single, like so women's advocates and, and sexual assault activists and so on say, 100% of cases, the victim is asked about what they were wearing and I was like, well, of course they are, because you have to figure out how the clothes came off. Right. And have... So, have, so you can be technically true, accurate about something, but you can be misrepresenting why it happened. In every sexual assault case, you're going to be asked about what you are wearing. It's usually Because you have to figure out... It's, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the crown. I have never, I've never ever, done that either. ever, 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 I'm going to swear, f***ing asked yeah. what a complainant wore... In a sexual assault case, because it's absolutely f***ing irrelevant. To imply that they wore something. She can wear a bikini to a dinner date, and it doesn't matter. No, there's a there's a picture as though, you know, when we prepare I'm trials. Or he, it, you know, whoever the victim is, alleged well, victim is. If you've seen Borat. I don't care. Borat has some pretty I did, interesting. I did, I did, I did, I did. I think yeah. that's one of his moments he Somewhere. regretted. But he's just <laughs> he's brilliant. But I have never, ever asked that question. 
Never have I ever asked that question. Never. To imply that what they wore was intended to elicit sexual activity. To elicit sexual activity. That's just wrong. No, it's only relevant in terms of, you're saying they came off how? Those pants? I was wearing a straight jacket to dinner and, you know, he just pulled it off. Okay. Well, did he undo some buckles? Like, you know, that may be no, relevant. No, he put me in a straight jacket and then I took a drink. <laughs> right. But that would be like... Sort of a... <laughs> it's just a fallacy of this assertion by these groups to try and dis- disqualify the defense by saying, you turn it around on the complainant, you say that they're the abuse, and that's not really effective litigation. And that's really not what happened in Johnny Depp's case. No. The, that's not what happens when people win. It happens when they lose. You know, if, if you go in there with rape myths, that's how you lose. Right, because you know what? Yeah. In those respect, in that respect, they're correct. Yeah. So I, I want to get to, because I think it kind of like pulls together a bunch of stuff we've been talking about. But we've got to still focus on judge and jury. Oh, okay, actually, before, because so I was going to go into Amber Heard's comments in their interview, the parts. Judge and jury. Let's talk about that. Let's first. talk about what's more legitimate, okay, in the public eye and, and, and maybe what's injustice. Is a jury verdict more credible than a judge verdict. And and I'm saying this with a caveat. I have great respect for our judges in Canada, and we have received excellent, well-written, well-reasoned decisions, and I think we're very fortunate in this country to have a very dedicated judiciary. That said, we've seen an erosion of jury trials in Canada. We've seen the federal government erode our ability to have a fair jury trial because of removal of peremptory peremptory challenges and really no vetting process for a jury, which I think is vital. Not because people, any 12 people wouldn't be good, but there's reasons that we should be a little bit more selective in the process of how we impanel a jury. If they can't look your client in the eye. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you know, juror look upon the accused, accused look upon juror, jurors like that. You know, that's not somebody I'm going to choose. I'm totally impartial. Or somebody may say, like, we need the body language experts. (laughs) But it's you don't need to have a degree in psychology to figure out somebody doesn't want to be there, right? But I have to say, I can't believe how many body language experts are, you know, weighing in on who's telling the truth and who isn't. Oh my God! In the United States, (laughs) I did a trial, and they brought up uh, you know my counsel who is representing co-accused brought up an expert from the U.S. With all due respect to that expert, it was no better than my son picking a jury. You know, like oh, you know what this relates back to the depth trial. One of their experts, who actually had no opportunity to to um, interview or speak with Johnny Depp, gave his uh, a psychological assessment of him as a narcissist, and he was asked, you know, what's your baseline. And he actually said, well, I've seen his movies like Pirates of the Caribbean. So he like. <laughs> I mean, that's an aspect. He had we, no baseline. Uh, it was hilarious. It, there's an aspect we didn't talk about, which was, you know, some of the expert evidence, which was called on the herd side, was really quite stupid. But well, we let, let's just drill down for a moment. I think it's important for people to understand. In, in, in the United States, it's different. In the U.S., they try almost everything before a jury. To have what's called in the U.S. a bench trial is, like, ridiculous. You know, never would I have a trial before a judge. It's always a jury. You do a jury on an... You know, a, a, a driving offense for yeah, you know, alcohol, driving, yeah. right? I you know, do juries on everything in the U.S. And then you have more of a robust way of, you know, determining what's an appropriate panel. In Canada, it's very, very limited. 
But what's more, like, let's get the elephant in the room. You know, we've got a jury verdict and some erudite judge in the UK making this decision who's, you know, aware of the myths and all that other stuff about reasoning. But does that make the judge in a better position to judge, to assess credibility, to come to an ultimate decision as to whether these allegations are true or not? Well, I, I think I've kind of called this, like, I did a video called Sex in the Box before, where um, where you isolate everything and you take the sexual encounter in question, whether or not it was an assault, and say nothing that happened reading leading up to the precise moment, let's say this assault happened in the, a bathroom, so there's a door, right? Nothing that happened outside the door matters. Nothing that happened once they left the door is just sex in a box, and you're not allowed to look at anything else. And I think that was a little bit of the approach the UK judge had in this. It was just like, because, you know, you look through the, the appeal, it's like there's a number, you know, I haven't actually read the full decision, but he was saying that her own behavior and uh, all this peripheral evidence. Prior acts of violence or other things are not Collateral, relevant. collateral yeah. evidence doesn't tell us whether or not an actual assault took place in this little, tiny little box, right? And there's a reason that narrative evidence is led not just by defense or sought by defense, but led by the Crown. Because to understand whether or not somebody's- Can you explain that a little bit more so yeah. our viewers understand? You're going into a courtroom where if you have a judge or if you have a jury, they don't know you, they don't know her, if it's a him, her kind of thing. They don't know anybody. So they need to have some narrative. There needs to be some storytelling and some evidence, you know, related, you know, support for who these people are, not just, and we always say, in storytelling, you always say, show, don't tell, right? You don't just walk in and say, I'm the kind of person who would never do this. You have to walk in and, and, and talk about how you feel about things. Show, don't tell. And part of doing that is allowing people to create a narrative to understand how you got to that box where that specific thing is being alleged and then how you got out of the box and, and why you got out of the box in that particular way. The complainants rely on that narrative evidence and the defense needs to have access to that evidence. But apparently only the complainants are allowed to lead narrative evidence. Only the complainants are allowed to cherry pick text messages. If the That's defense correct. needs to use that narrative or that evidence, we have to bring an application and get permission. Right, so, so we're behind the eight ball, but we, we find way, it's a good rant, we find ways to get around it. Jury versus judge alone. Let's just deal with it. What is it? What do we say? Panel of three. I know you will pick the jury. Not always. I, I, I'm very, look, I, I come from a very uh, Canadian perspective with the judges that we have and the cases yeah. we've run, where I found that, you know, w with the right submissions and the right dialogue, judges arrive at the right decisions. Um, yeah. That said, I've always liked jury trials. I've always thought that, that you know, in 12 members in a, in a criminal case, properly selected i think we have to have a selection process bring with them you know a body of knowledge of human behavior and are able to assess evidence in a way that we don't in criminal law judges and and lawyers because we're trained in a certain way our heads are filled with shit, right not to think this not to just say that think this don't do that you know but juries are like just people who like think normally and they're like nah, this doesn't smell right. they can use their gut they can use their gut they go i, I smell bullshit. that's wrong 
right? And and so in this particular case, um, I think that was incredibly valuable. Yeah, I'm I'm uh, uh, I like judges. Um, I I like knowing the reasoning behind the decision. The black, the empty black box of yes, no, uh, always leaves me just constantly questioning. You know why? Uh, why What's more democratic? Oh, Jerry's hundred well, percent. A three-person panel. Can I weigh in before we? Move sure. On? Yeah. Sure. Um, I actually, I'm not as experienced with juries. And I have a distrust of people uh, in terms of how, whether or not they can, they have logical skills and how they employ their, I mean, I've seen some people summarize what just happened or I, I can actually look at a written document where it's provable and they'll say it says something completely different. So I have a little bit of a distrust of people's logical skills, but essentially I prefer judge because, because um, I'm a writer and when you have a jury, you just you can't do the same thing in terms of how you explain case law to them and how you guide them through those things it's just like watching mm. questions i don't know i just uh, depends on how you construct your jury address yeah you know I I, just, i've done i know that i can argue anything <laughs> in writing having done I, both I can, I can extensively almost... you know i wish i would have had more i, I think i had over, just over a hundred and some odd jury trials until you're very hit. good on your feet, though. I'm, I'm no, not but, writing. But, I'm but not you know what I feet. like about it? I, I just... I, and again, I have a great respect for our judiciary, and I will stand up for our judiciary uh, against all criticisms from any other jurisdiction. But when we're able to have a proper selection process, which I don't think we do no, now in it's Canada, done. I think it's done. I think they have put the knife into our jury system now i think that has been put in by the trudeau government i think it's very hard to get that knife out and we have a slow bleed to death of the jury system that's that's my well, opinion but juries play a big role in in amber heard's interview so just uh, we, we are getting back to to the specifics of the depth thing we are but i just related. think juries have a, a a case of collective common knowledge and assessment of human behavior and god forbid i say this common sense that i think is a value i think it's a i think it's the crucible of democracy where 12 people from your 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 community come together to render a verdict i think it's important i think in this case with mr depp and we've said this in the in in, in the other episode that seven people in this panel because it's a civil case viewed the evidence heard the evidence, assessed the evidence, felt the evidence, just just was able to be immersed in it and then said, no, 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 okay, no, no, no. This that. doesn't accord with the way we think this is accurate. And I don't think necessarily it's just about celebrity status. No. And so here's one of the things leading into the first claim by Amber Heard and her lawyer afterwards impugning the jury in this case. People who were there said the jury was very attentive. They took their job very seriously. They normally do. And the first thing, they have they have an obligation and they agree that they will not do any independent research on the case. They didn't uh, have any preformed opinions going in. That's why they were permitted to be on the jury. We don't do that in Canada. Go ahead. And, we uh, do nothing so in Canada. They're claiming 
that the reason the jury didn't believe her was because they think the jury was influenced by social media. So talk about that. I don't think they were. I, I, I think they li- I th- they had like umpteen witnesses to, to listen to and they, they listened very attentively to Mr. Depp testify and Ms. Heard testify and they made a decision. But, we'll, but uh, at the end of the day, we'll never know. It really... Well, no, they'll be interviewed in the U.S. And they're all going to write books. They're allowed to actually speak about their experiences. Which is actually... Somebody created some sort of ask me anything thing who was on the jury, and he actually did answer a few questions. Look, we can reserve this for later on. You can, you you know, if you view this podcast and you like it, please like it. Please uh, subscribe if you haven't subscribed, and please share. But send us your comments. What do you think? What do you think? And if you're on YouTube, make sure you hit notifications. But, but you know, here, here's a good question. What do you think, jury or judge? What do you respect more as a decision? What do you think is more fair? What will render more justice? Let us know. I'm curious what you're going to say, because we've got lots of viewers, and I'm curious what you're going to say. Let's, let's reserve. Let's hear what they have to say and revisit us on the next podcast. Well, well, no, can we, we have to do this. I want to go through stuff from... You know, and okay. we can put this out. So this is stuff that Amber said. <laughs> okay. So she claimed the jury was watching and she was in, they were influenced by social media attacks. And she felt that, you know, that they were violating their oath and their duty and that they were probably being influenced by that. That's Even. repugnant. Next. Um, she said that th- the process for her removed her from her, her humanity. Then she paused dramatically and said, I felt less than human. No, oh, f*** off. Because she had to walk through all these protesters outside with all their signs, and well, she's that's like, the "United States for you." Well, that's. And she was saying, know. "All these people who loved," actually, there was a hilarious comment. She said, "All these people who who loved, um, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean." She goes, "They say that I'm a great actor, and so this is all a big act, acting thing." And then they criticized my acting in court. She was like, "Look at Johnny. He convinced people that he had scissors for hands." She literally said that, like. That's kind of funny. I I saw Edward Scissor's hands and I I knew he didn't. Then when she was asked about all of his witnesses, she says all these randos who show up for their little five minutes of fame, she called the witnesses in the trial randos. She's angry. She lost. She's angry. She lost. And she's just, uh, you know, rebelling against the verdict. No, but all of this, I mean, I'm saying it the way I'm saying it, but she she was sitting there going, all these randos. (laughs) Um... Yeah, she was the same thing. I'm surprised. She didn't have a jury to turn to as she answered the questions <laughs> this time. Um, and I got to say that this, uh, it was an interview by Today and uh, Today's Show, I think it is. She was actually really hard hitting. So Amber made some some statements and she said, well, there was some evidence in court that really contradicts that, you know, if you look at it. So I got to, you know, give a little shout out to the interviewer who comes across very aggressive and and like holding her to account. I haven't seen not aggressive. The whole doing thing their yet. job. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and I think of it as to... aggressive to. Well, we're Canadian. We don't like to create conflict. So you know, to... I don't know about you. I do. I don't like you, Justin. I say, yeah, I, I actually create a lot of conflict. So when she was asked, and she had to really pause dramatically for this one. When you went in for the verdict, when there was a verdict, did you expect to win? Did you think it was going to come back in your favor? And she goes. That's a really good question. And then there's like, she doesn't know how to answer it. And then she's like, I wish I could say yes. 
but because of her experience of social media and all this other stuff, she said she just went in there thinking she didn't have a fair trial and she actually didn't expect to win. Let me just say this. Here's the big mistake. If you come forward with a complaint, go ahead. If you believe that you're truly abused, go ahead. But don't expect, like I, anybody who's been truly abused should go to the authorities, should report it, and it's deserved a prosecution. We're not, we're not saying that. Finish, but... But just let me finish. I'm so interrupted in this podcast. But I just want to say this. Yo, hey. Don't expect from the justice system that you're just going to be f***ing believed. There is a process. We need due process. We need examination. We need cross-examination. need to be tried, whether it's before a judge or before a jury. There needs to be adjudication of this. You can't just be believed. That is dangerous. That leads to all sorts of wrong things happening to people who are in identifiable groups. We don't just accept an accusation because you're a member of a particular group. I'll accept your accusation because you're a, a woman. I believe it because you're a woman. I believe it because you're, you're from Mars. We saw the dangers with unfounded accusations in history. Would you believe if somebody was actually said they were from Mars? <laughs> I don't know. I'm going to wait till Elon to gets to Mars. I'm going to make but, a really but good I, point. We've seen the dangers of accepting shit at face value and what propaganda can do. This is propaganda. Mm-hmm. Let a justice system be a justice system. So here's here's one of the things she said, which I had mentioned previously that I, I found fascinating. She originally, her, her very first statement when she lost, because she essentially lost, she did win one of her claims, but it, no, it she was lost. meaningless, but she, she lost. lost. She, she lost. She said, this is about a setback for free speech. So in this interview, she says, um, she, she's questioned about that. And uh, she, you know, the interviewer says, free speech does not protect defamation. And she responds, that's true. I'm trying to do my Amber Heard imitation. <laughs> she goes, but this is, you know, this is the freedom to speak truth to power. That was her response. I, 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 I don't know what this, I don't even know what the f*** that means. What it means is we got to be careful now in an era where facts aren't facts, where opinions seem to rule the day, where you're going to be believed no matter what you say because that's what's politically correct. No, we need to process. We need to critically scrutinize everything. And that's the way it should be. And we got to go back to some base of normality. And Amber Heard needs a better scriptwriter. That's what she said. <laughs> Good night, guys. Night. Thank you, everybody, for viewing. Like, subscribe, share.